0: I was born to make you happy I think it's just my style Everywhere I go Telling everyone I know Baby, I love to see you smile Don't want to take a trip to China Don't want to sail up tonight Wouldn't want to get too far where you are Cause I love to see you smile Like a sink without a faucet Like a watch without a dial. What would I do If I didn't have you Love to see you smile In the summer In the springtime The winter or the fall The only place I Wallaby. It's where I can see you smile at me In a world that's full of trouble Make it all worthwhile What would I do if I didn't have you? just love to see you smile I love to see you smile In the summer, in the springtime, the winter or the fall, the only place I want to be is where I can see you smiling at me in a world that's full of trouble. You make it all worthwhile. What would I do? have you, i love to see you spot i love to see you
1: Hello everyone. My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 20th of November. This week our theme is God the Creator. The Old Testament can sometimes seem to be promoting a view of God as perpetually angry. However, the God who creates us loves us and our first song reflects the idea that God wants our lives to be fulfilled. Later we will hear a number of contemporary worship songs before we end with a track from Bob Dylan's Gospel album. Some notices. In this Sunday's 10.30 on-site service we will once again be looking at God as gracious Father and all are welcome. Cards for Good Causes are now selling Christmas cards in our green room. The entrance is via the door at the end of the car park. They're open from Monday to Saturday. I believe they're open from 10 till 3 on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday and 10 till 4 from Thursday to Saturday and they'll be there until the week before Christmas. Don't forget that a percentage of the proceeds will be going to our church funds. And now our call to worship. O Lord, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place... What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth.
2: Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn. In round the course of day, till evening falls in crimson rain. and flakes of snow His breath upon the spinning globe He charts the eagle's flight Commands the newborn baby's cry Hallelujah Let all creation stand Gazed upon his face The ageless one In time's embrace shall rain upon the earth, the bitter wars that rage, our birth pains of a coming age. When He renews the land and sky, all heaven will sing and earth reply, with his bliss
1: ocean meets shore, you are there. Where earth meets sky, you are there. Where day meets night, you are there. And so we worship you, wonderful Creator God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship you. God who gave us life, As creation is not shy but shows off its beauty, so may we not hide the gifts you have given us. As mountains reflect your strength through all the extremes of weather, so may we show others your grace through all the highs and lows of life. As birds tuck their heads under their wings, so may we tuck our longings, our hopes, our hurts under the wings of your love and compassion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A reading from Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened, and then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. For some years, one of the verses of All Things Bright and Beautiful has been omitted from our hymn books, and indeed most hymn books. This is how it goes. The rich man in his castle, the poor man at his gate, he made them high and lowly and ordered their estate. It isn't surprising that such a verse didn't make it into modern hymn books, but it seems as though it was dropped some years ago. Those of you with older hymn books on your shelves at home might like to check, but it's certainly not been seen in the revised church hymn book, of 1933 or since. Of course we can see why this particular verse might be unpopular as it suggests that God has preordained that some people are born to be rich while others are born to be poor. I used to wonder whether there shouldn't be a comma between he made them and high and lowly so that it gives the sense that everyone, humble and great alike, are God's children. However that may not fit with the idea of God ordering their estate which has the whiff of people needing to know their station in life. Here's a radical thought. Maybe it's right. Maybe God does order our estate. After all, this would seem to fit with the parable of the talents. It would also fit with our own observations on life. Rich parents tend to give birth to rich children and poor parents to poor children. There are many things in life that are predetermined by the circumstances of our birth things over which we have no control. For example, one doesn't find too many Baptist Christians who were born to Saudi Arabian parents. The overall intention of this verse, and indeed of all the verses of the hymn, is to reinforce the idea that God has made everything. And this is also the intention of the passage that I read. The very first verse of the Bible is one which has caused problems in translation and interpretation over the years. In the most common English translations of the Bible, we find something very like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what we find in our church Bibles. However, in the New English Bible, we find an equally valid translation of the Hebrew, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void. In that more common reading, we find that God has created something where once there was nothing. In the second version, God has brought order from chaos and formed or moulded his creation as a potter creates from clay or a sculptor from a piece of stone. While the idea of bringing order from chaos, As God did after the flood, has its merits. God creating matter where there had been nothing is even more striking. It's also significant because most of the nations who surrounded Israel believed in a God who had created the universe out of the body of a sea monster who had been defeated in a cosmic battle. In contrast, when we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we are hearing that God created everything. We must remember that those responsible for writing the Old Testament lived at a time when it was believed that the world was flat. In fact, the whole of the earthly realm resembled one of those souvenir snow scenes that we used to buy on holiday. It was as if the world was a sealed unit. There was the surface on which we walk, the realm of the living, And underneath that, the earth, the realm of the dead. Below the earth, there was the deep, this uncharted, watery place which God held back to prevent it from engulfing the world. And above was a vast dome, the firmament on which the lights of the sky were fixed. So the Bible starts with the unequivocal statement that God was in the beginning and before anything was, he created everything. There was no battle between good and evil from which God emerged on top. God created because that what God does. He is the creator. The world was not formed at the beginning of creation and so God's first act was to bring order where there was chaos. God's spirit, his breath, made it happen. He created light where before there was only darkness. But in creating light, God also created the rhythm of the world he divided light and dark temporarily, so that there was day and night and that was the end of the first day on the second day God divided the water above that which falls as rain from the waters below then on day three the waters below were gathered to form oceans, so that there was land and on the land God made trees and plants to grow each with their different peculiarities On the fourth day having already made night and day by dividing the times of darkness and light God made the lights of the heavens sun moon and stars which would produce the light on a regular basis. Both the third and fourth days of creation illustrate two things about God the first is the apparent waste inherent in creation. God has made countless varieties of plants and trees and a universe teeming with stars and planets in a space so vast that it is hard to imagine and even harder to imagine that it can ever be knowable by us. The light from the nearest star to our planet takes more than four years to reach us. Sirius, the brightest star in our sky, is twice as far away and so light takes more than eight and a half years to reach us. The farthest object visible to us without the use of a telescope or binoculars is the Andromeda galaxy. It is made up of 100 billion stars and the combined light from these appears as just a grey smudge on a clear dark night. The Andromeda galaxy is 2.2 million light years away. Then there are the objects even deeper in space that we can see only with a telescope the size of a small town. Closer to home, more than one and a half million different species of living things have been identified so we can see that God did not stint in his creation here on earth. It is hard to imagine the size of the universe and the numbers of species and planets it contains, but it is almost as hard to understand why there are so many stars in the sky and species here on earth. Why do we need so many planets if there were just say one millionth of the number of stars in the sky there would still be millions more than we could ever see let alone reach and why do we have to have so many different types of animal and plant surely half a dozen different trees would have been enough and really what's the point of an ostrich the answer to these questions is that we don't know because we are not god Verse 1 asserts that God is before all things and therefore is essentially free to be God. He is before all things and over all things. But perhaps the extraordinary nature of creation suggests to us something else about God's nature. The God whom we worship is not an accountant. Now, that's not to criticise accountants, because let's be honest, a decent accountant could have done a reasonable job of creation without the waste and with a profit for the shareholders. But our God does not put a price on his creation, which is good news for us, because neither does our God put a price on our value. The children he has made have been bought with a price, and perhaps we might question whether or not we think we are worth it. The second thing that the third and fourth days in creation tell us about God is that he is Lord of creation and we are to worship him and not what he has made. When we read these verses, it seems strange that God creates light and dark before he has created the sun, moon and stars. The best explanation for this probably takes us back to a comparison with those stories from the other nations. In some of those societies, the sun, moon and stars were worshipped But Israel knew that these were bodies placed into the heavens by God. Likewise, there was no need to worship fertility gods because it was the one God who made the plants and made them to produce seeds that would enable their crops to reproduce year after year. But what of our place in this creation? Human beings are not mentioned in the first half of Genesis chapter 1. It's not until verse 26 that we make our first appearance. The Bible is about God and his relationship with humanity, but it starts with God alone. In the beginning, God. It is God who has made everything, heaven and earth, and it is he who has brought order from chaos, separated light from dark, land from sea, and it's he who's given the earth its living things and the means by which they will procreate. God does not need humanity, and nor does he need another deity or a heavenly being There is nothing and nobody who is deserving of the worship due to him. It's clear that God did not need humankind, but it was for us that all this has been created. Yet it was never intended that ours should be a world which required no work. God made the world for us, but it was made for us to look after. Although the writer of Genesis chapter 1 didn't hold to the view of creation held by Israel's neighbours, The sea was a mystery to be feared in the ancient world and the story of Noah and the great flood suggests that there was always the implied threat that the world could return to an undefined and chaotic state. The point of the story of Noah was to show how God came to understand human nature and the complete inability of men and women to live the perfect lives that God expected. The chaos that arose in that flood came about through human sin Can we see a parallel to the marring of God's creation that we see in our world today? Our world is not static. Everything changes. Resources become depleted as they are used. The world population grows. We have heard this week about the birth of the eight billionth human being. Food is needed and must be grown, harvested and then replaced. Our use of energy has an effect upon our world. While it may not be possible to relate directly what happens in our world to global sin in our day, we do know that how we live affects our world. When I was at college, we looked at the organisation Christians in Sport and how they work among professional athletes, often famous and very wealthy women and men. We were thinking about how most Christian work tends to be done among poorer people. To bring biblical support to the work of Christians in sport, one of my colleagues quoted from the Psalms, the stars are his handiwork too. I thought that this was a rather good joke, but that it also contained an important truth, which is that rich and poor, famous and anonymous, we all share the equality having been made in the same way by the same God. We're all brothers and sisters of the same Heavenly Father. Our legal system is based on a person's right to be judged by 12 men and women. The right is the same when ordinary people are judged by their peers as it is when peers are judged by ordinary people. I remember once saying that the law is the same for Lord Archer as it is for Phil Archer. We are all equal in the eyes of the law as we are all equal in the sight of our Father in heaven. Perhaps as well as needing to understand that God treats equally the high and the low-born, the saint and the sinner, we also need to understand that he is more ready than we are to accept the flaws that lie within us. Perhaps flaw is the wrong word in that it implies that we have been made with a fault within us. But it's probably true that we each have our favourite sins, or rather that there are particular sins into whose clutches we are more likely to fall. Local church histories throw up some interesting stuff. One of my predecessors in my last church was a man named James Dan. He came south from Bradford to Oxford in 1882. The 1880s were a time of great growth in the life of the church. However, in the early 1890s, one of Mr Dan's sons got himself into a spot of bother. Although we're not sure what happened, Mr. Dan was forced to make a statement to the church meeting, acknowledging that some of the rumours the members had heard were true. And these rumours included having been asked to leave the church in Bradford over unpaid debts. The Oxford church put together a package which helped to get Mr. Dan out of his difficulties, but it also meant that he had to give up his pension, which many years later led to his being understandably reluctant to retire. Eventually the church persuaded him he could not go on forever and they granted him the not ungenerous sum of £120 per annum to enable him to retire without going into the poorhouse. There had been a great sense of God at work in the church at that time which was seen in the changed lives of existing members and those who came to faith during his ministry 120 years or so ago. Yet there was also failure and hurt in the church and with the minister and his family. It is important for us to understand how we should deal with success and failure in our lives and in the life of the church. But more importantly, we need to know how God deals with it. He loves us when we do well and when we acknowledge our debt to him. But he loves us too when we go astray but admit our fault and turn to him. The last line of the chorus of the hymn with which I started is, The Lord God made them all. He made the great and the good, the high and the low born, the high achiever and the one with low self-esteem, and he loves them all. But most of us are not either one thing or another, and God loves us when we are great and good, but he loves us too when we are weak and bad. Psalm 139 starts, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. In these verses, the psalmist speaks of how God knows every part of him and he worships God for his creation. After the writer marvels at God's ways and before he prays that God will examine him and test his thoughts, the psalmist makes his thoughts only too clear. If only God would slay the wicked, if those murderers would only leave me in peace, how I loathe those who defy you. I hate them with an undying hatred. But God knows those thoughts already. Because God knows who we are and what we are. He knows that some of us are better than others, although we might be surprised how He would grade us. But He also knows that we all have our faults. He knows all this, and yet He loves us. The Lord God made them all. He has made all of us, He has made each one of us, and He has made each part of each one of us. He knows the heart of the psalmist who wrote those vengeful words, and yet He's able to use the words He wrote. Likewise, there is not one of us who can be content with his or her life. The God who created the world has created you and accepts you. God accepts you and he accepts me. And he wants to work with us to bring good news to the world that he has made. So let's hear him. Let's obey him. Amen. many churches will this sunday be remembering christ as king and in our prayers now we shall be doing that too let us pray lord jesus we bow before you as christ the king we exalt you as our lord we can do nothing other than come in humility and thankfulness for all that you are and all that you have done for us As you call us to follow you, give us the courage to count the cost and remain faithful to you. Lord, we pray for King Charles. We thank you for his faithful service to our country over so many years. We ask that you will give him wisdom, strength and humility as he wrestles with all the compromises he needs to make. Now he is the monarch. We pray also for Rishi Sunak and his cabinet. We ask that they too will make wise decisions and policies that are designed to prosper those in our country who are facing real difficulty. Give them the courage to make compassionate decisions, even if those decisions are costly. Lord Jesus, Christ the King, we pray for the leaders in our world who do not acknowledge you. We pray for Vladimir Putin and for other leaders who are leading their people away from you, especially when they are leading them into war. We dare to pray big prayers, asking that these leaders will somehow be challenged by who you are, that they will see the truth and turn to kneel before you. We pray for Ukraine after the recent escalation of violence. We pray for all those Christians in countries where following you is not safe. We thank you for their courage and silent witness. We ask that you will give them your peace and strength to remain steadfast. Lord Jesus, King of kings, we lift our nation to you. We pray for all those who are really struggling with the cost of living, who are afraid that they may not be able to make ends meet. We pray for all those who are having to make hard choices about eating or eating. We pray for our local services, our food banks, GP surgeries, warm places, Citizens Advice Bureau, that they will offer compassionate assistance to all who need it. Help your church to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Lord, we pray that you will be the compassionate king to all those we know who need your comforting presence at this time. We pray for those we know who are sick, sad, or struggling with their mental health. Be close to them and enfold them in your loving arms, we pray. We remember all who are lonely or housebound, single parents desperate for an adult to talk to, people who are homeless, people struggling to care for family members. Lord, give us eyes and ears to see these people in our community and to bring your love to them. Lord Jesus, exalted King, we praise you for all that you have done for us. We rejoice that you are willing to exchange your crown of glory for a crown of thorns. We thank you for humbling yourself to become one of us. We will never truly know the cost of your sacrifice, but we bow before you in gratitude. Give us the strength to keep faithful to you. As we go forward into the coming week, go before us and encourage us to keep close to you. Help us to be true servants of the King, we pray. When we're faced with hard decisions, help us to seek your face before we act. Help us to stop and think whenever we are tempted to behave in ways that do not honour you. When we are tempted to be unkind, to say wrong things, to waste your resources. Give us the courage to stand up for who you are, whatever the cost to us. You gave your all for us, so help us to give our all for you. Jesus, we exalt you as Lord and King. We bow before you and offer you our lives. Amen. Next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent is a traditional time when we look at God's coming to the world. We think obviously of Christmas when God came as a child, but we also think of God's coming again, sometimes called the second coming of Jesus. As we look towards Advent, our final song today is called When He Returns, a song by Bob Dylan but before that, a final prayer. Tread lightly on the earth, treasure the land, be gentle with all creatures, be generous to all people, and know that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are drawing you deeper into the heart of love, that you may love yourself and not be afraid. Amen.
3: The strongest wall will crumble and fall To a mighty God. For all those who have eyes and all those who have ears, it is only He who can reduce me to tears. Cry and don't you die and don't you burn. Like a thief in the night, he'll replace wrong with right when a he returns. Narrow an and the gate is narrow, that it passes through. He unleashed his power. Listen to the lies of prejudice How long can I stay drunk on fear Out in the wilderness Can I cast it aside All this loyalty and this pride Will I That there'll be no peace That the world won't cease Until he returns Surrender your crown On this bloodstained ground Take her off you men. He sees your deeds He knows your needs Even before you end How long can you falsify And deny what is real How long can you hate yourself For the weakness you can see Of every earthly plan that be known to man, he is unconcerned. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns.